You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Monday, so it's time for Shapiro World with David Shapiro from Sassfin in Johannesburg. And this podcast is proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. David, there's so, so much to talk about. Never mind the economy and politics. We have to start with something that came out about an hour ago as we mm. pre-record this. It says, due to the announced delay in the publishing of the company's financial statements and the continuing review into past financial practices... Let me read that again, past financial practices. And yes. following further discussions with the JSE Limited and the company's auditors, forensic investigative team, legal advisors and management, the board has requested that the JSE suspend the listing of the company's securities mm. with immediate effect. The company's mm. name, Tonga Hewlett. Tonga, Ex- yeah. Extraordinary stuff. It is. You know, I, I, I think you have to go back. When you say extraordinary, you have to actually go back... Uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years to understand Tonga, you know, what a significant company it, it has been in the history of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And I think that's the shocker. Yeah, it's almost synonymous with the uh, uh, KZN or the Natal uh, economy. You know, it's it's the Hewlett's, it was Tonga Hewlett, the Hewlett's have been the aristocrats or the society, you know, of, of, of colonial Natal. Yes, uh, and I, I, I've often visited the Tongard head office for presentations and so on, and it's a beautiful office in Tongard with you know well manicured gardens and uh, absolutely beautiful. The head office is very colonial, um, you know. Uh, uh, walls got paintings. I, I remember Guelo Goodman, who's a well known uh, artist in South Africa. Uh, I remember seeing some huge paintings by Guerrilla Goodman on the walls there. But it really, it it, it, it showed power. That yes. was Tonga. Why? Because they owned uh, almost the whole of Natal. They, they were the biggest sugar producers there. Every house, you know, you would see these stone houses scattered along the uh, Natal coast. Those were owned by the Hewlett family. So it gives you an idea of where they came from. A uh, highly respected name. And to see where they are now and what's happened is is, is tragic. Uh, they spun off companies. They, you know, they spun off Hewlett-Mann. Um, also, there were three different divisions now, which up to now we all thought were doing well, the sugar producers, starch, and, of course, uh, they converted a lot of their, their old property into in, – in, sorry, their old uh, fields into property, you know, which they sold for development. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it was a prominent company. Prominent South African company, and and just to see what's happened to it is just absolutely tragic. It really is. I mean, it goes on to say the board's primary objectives in requesting the suspension are to protect investors in circumstances where there is insufficient, reliable financial information in the market, to allow management more time to support the completion of the forensic investigation and so on, to address any possibility of there being two levels of information in the market arising from the various processes, uh, to allow the company to complete the strategic review, implement remedial actions, and accelerate the turnaround strategy. This decision has not been taken lightly. This is a very, very somber stock exchange news service announcement. I haven't seen anything like this for quite a while. No. No, it is. You remember they they made an announcement that they might have to adjust the accounts by something like three and a half billion to four and a half billion. Now the company is trading at one point seven billion at the moment or when it was suspended. Now that might already take into account the adjustments that have to be made. But no one's quite sure how far 
back this goes. You know, no one can make any sense of the kind of numbers that they've been talking about and what this investigation means and how they manage to, how management has managed to manipulate the numbers um, over the years, you know, what it's meant. I, I understand the accounting of sugar cane, of sugar fields and of property is very, very difficult. You know, it's extremely difficult to, how do you value uh, cane that's growing in the ground? You know, how do you value those things uh, when you harvest a, a field? And also that they quite spread, you know, they've moved a lot of their operations away from Natal, I think, into Mozambique and into Zim and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and then how do you value the land conversion? You know, we don't know what uh, what the restatement of the account actually involves and it just also exposes how difficult it is to sometimes value these kind of businesses um but i don't think along the way there was any reason to disbelieve previous management you know i i I, sugar is a difficult you know it's a very difficult industry because the price changes all the time it depends if there's a hurricane in the caribbean or something it can you know it can alter the world price of sugar and so on so very, very difficult company to understand, you know, very difficult to, to, to value these kind of businesses or to try and forecast where prices are going. Yeah. I just but wonder, it's another one. It's will, another one. Will it ever come back? I mean, this, this is the no. thing now. It doesn't look as though it's no. going to come back, does it? No, no, no. You know, once you've done damage like this, it's very, very difficult to, to, uh, to reestablish. I, I, I have to say, look, sometimes you can – it can take time for these companies to, uh, you know, to, to rebuild themselves. We were very fortunate. A few minutes ago, I came out of a presentation with Eltron, where the whole company has been turned on its, you know, on its head. I was very impressed with management and very impressed with what they've done, getting rid of the old legacy businesses and focusing on what they thought of the of the um, growth areas, which is mainly in the IT side. So. And we've seen it in Supergroup. We've seen it in Eltron. So sometimes these companies can come back. But, um, I, you know, this one seems to be very – this seems a very, very hard ask. Yeah, exactly. So I interrupted you there. You said that there's another one as well. You mentioned something. No, I'm saying in Natal. You know, we've had, we've had such disappointments in that economy. I mean, if you look at – you had Aspen coming down quite dramatically. We've had um, Tongart. You know, these are all based uh, – they dominated the – the economic landscape in Natal. Um, I, I, I jokingly say there's one thing that's that's making a comeback, and that's uh, cannabis. And maybe they should convert the sugarcane fields into into growing cannabis. You know, uh, Durban poison. Maybe there is a big market for it over there. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> It seems to be it seems to be insatiable. Um, and the other thing that we we need to talk about now, and we need to uh, go to the United States of America to a share that, that debuted at twenty yeah. five dollars and is now closer yeah. to one hundred and fifty dollars. The faux meat, yeah, artificial meat company. What's it called? Mm. Beyond called meat. Beyond meat. That's Beyond it. meat. And you had a Beyond mm. Meat burger today from Woolworths. It was great, absolutely great. I I I must admit, I thought, let me try it. Mm. I went there and, uh, you know, you know that it's faux meat, you know that it's not real. So your first bite is a bit odd. But but thereafter, if you just sort of just carry on eating it and, uh, you know, with a drink and with the, with the chips that come along, it, I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really good and very, very tasty. So my, my interest, uh, Lindsay, is these are innovative products. Right. You know, these are products that are 
changing the way that we do things, changing the way that they eat. You know, vegetarians and vegans are against farming meat simply because of the huge expense of producing uh, an ounce of beef or a kilo, what do you call it, a kilo of beef and so on. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 that uh, you, can, you can extract this without having to kill animals and you can extract this from plants. So it goes along those lines. Would I buy the shares now? Not after this kind of price gain and not with the company's history. It's just a little too, too bubbly for me. But, but I'm more interested in innovation. You know, I'm more in, interested in companies that, that, that actually embark on these kind of missions. So that's what interested in me. What yeah. is the price difference between a normal burger that you would get, say, for example, <laughs> at, at Steers and your Beyond Burger at Woolworths? I don't know. In fact, I think there, I, I think there was a bit of price difference, and it wasn't on the menu. So I said, "Do you have a, you know, do you have the uh, Beyond Burger?" And they said, "Yes, of course we do." And they they brought it to me. My bill looked a bit steep, so I think it's slightly heavier than its uh, uh, Big Mac or um, Burger King Whopper. Yes, but um, I think you know people who are non meat eaters. Look, if if you know kosher, I mean, and. Uh, Kosher has the same kind of thing. So where it's a very limited market, of course, uh, halal and kosher and that are very, very expensive. And I suppose if you want to be vegan or you want to be vegetarian, yep, you're going to face the same kind of cost pressures. Is it Beyond Burger kosher? That's, you know what? It is. There are a whole lot of rules about being kosher. But I mean, in essence, yes. But, you know, there's some funny rules around being kosher. If, uh, for example, um, people see you eating it, they'll think you're eating meat, and therefore they'll think that this is not a kosher restaurant, therefore it can't be kosher. You know, so you've got all strange kind of rules, but in essence, it's 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 plant, it's plant based, and uh, you know, should be kosher. Okay, you were talking about innovation and doing things differently, David. We need to do things differently in South Africa after the yep. GDP data that we had last week. Mm. I've spoken to a lot of people about this. I don't get tired of it because it still disturbs me enormously what's going on in this country. Yeah. No, you did right. I think, I think uh, we've got around at 1480 at a time that the, uh, it's only pulling back from its uh, levels of 15. But it does expose uh, you know, how people feel towards South Africa. And I think the whole debacle of last week just shows that there's still different factions within the ANC. And uh, Cyril's going, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa is going to have very, to work very hard to introduce a reform agenda, whether or not he can do it. But I think, I think it comes to more than that. It comes to how are we going to get people into a frame of mind where they actually have to work a lot harder for a lot less. And and, and I think that's the challenge. And and number one, that's that's number one. Number two, where do we go? You know, what is our agenda? What do we start producing here? that makes a big difference to, to this economy. We've got to create thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. In fact, it's millions of jobs. Right. And uh, we have to introduce industries that can absorb people who haven't got a high skill base or haven't got the education. So we've got to be very innovative in our thinking. And certainly um, the one big obstacle to that is, is the labor laws, which are very restrictive and actually do not encourage any business from using labor, simply because once you employ a person, number one, in minimum wages, and I'm not going to argue that point. Um, and secondly, there's the whole point of you know rights, whether you can fire these people or not, and what you have to produce. So I think 
we've got to be a lot more adventurous in this country if we're going to try and address these problems. Yeah, I really think so. The RAND did go to 1512 mm. at one stage, I think, on Friday. It's currently around about 1484, 1485, but still very weak and still looks vulnerable to me, David. And the thing about the RAND is it affects every single person in South Africa, mm. from the poorest uh, to the richest. And I don't know the Reserve Bank argument, whether the Reserve Bank comes under the control of government or whether it stays autonomous, I don't know. But I just simply don't think that a Reserve Bank interest rate cut improves sentiment in the boardroom. But I don't think it's going to have a meaningful effect on the economy. We've got to do other things. No, one interest rate cut's not going to make any difference. I think sentiment-wise, yes, it'll be a move in the right direction and you're putting out a message. But I I don't think interest rate or monetary policy is really going to make a difference. It's much more structurally structural here uh, mm. to get people to, you know, you, you've got to create the confidence that are going to get people to go out and uh, do things in this country. But before that, you've got to address the issues. You know, you've got to address the fundamental issues of which Eskom is the first. And I think we discussed it last week, Lindsay. You know, you can't keep delaying your policies on Eskom and other places like this and other state-owned uh, enterprises. We, you know, you've got to come out very firm and say, this is what we're going to do. And I'm talking about Ramaphosa. You know, he's got to come out now with a plan. And it's got to be a plan that's going to be able to work. It mustn't be ideologically based. It's got to be business-based so that we can get that going. Once you've got that going, you start to address the other factors that are holding back uh, confidence and investment here. And then, you know, once you've got everything on, on, on a sound footing, and it includes protection of, of, of property rights, it includes the labor issues, it includes a whole lot of things, then we've got a chance of raising money. You can't just, at this stage, you know, Cyril and his, his uh, well-dressed bear carriers, you can't get on a plane now and go off to Goldman Sachs or wherever you're going to go overseas and expect to raise money. You know, you've got to have a plan and you've got to be able to to promise the people who invest here a decent return, a long-term return, mm. not just uh, something in the short term. You know, those people who invest in, in bricks and mortars, invest in the long term here, understand that they've got to get sustainable returns. And the kind of government that we've got now, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, you're quite right. I know we harsh. I know it's harsh, but I mean... It's not harsh. It's, it's, uh, it's honest. We, we, yeah, it is. You know, we, we business people. We know, we, know, we know investment. We know what attracts people to investment. I'm very worried, I must say. Um, David, anything you... Actually, let's talk about something a little bit happier. I have to say, I take my hat off to Mr. Trump, the way he handled the Mexican situation. I don't like the way he the way he did it, the way he initiated it, and I don't like his crowing afterwards, and I don't know the full facts. But it seems as though they have caved in, and it seems as though he has got his way. And the market, the stock market, that is, the market participants, however you want to describe it, has melted up. We're seeing the most extraordinary run that I've seen for ages. It's like five, four or five days up, I mean, a couple of hundred points on the day. It's the most amazing run. Look at the Dow now, another 200 points higher. Well, it's difficult to understand. I mean, when I say it's difficult to understand, I really mean it's difficult to understand because the reason that the market went up is because bad news. And, and the bad news is that the U.S. economy is starting to show signs of strain. It wasn't only the job numbers. It was industrial production, retail sales, and some housing numbers. And that's pushed investors to believe that the Fed is going to reduce rates perhaps faster than they originally discussed or thought. Um, And then on top of that, I think that Trump has come under a lot of pressure from his own party 
with regard to Mexico, and he had to peel back on that one. He hasn't. He's kind of peeling back a little bit on on China because there's some very strong voices that are warning about ongoing uh, trade war and what it will mean for the for the global economy. And of course, the U.S. will be affected as well. As I've said, you know, even in in any war, even the victors mourn their dead. You know, even in a war. Uh, whatever war it is, there's uh, there are losses on both sides. So I think I think it's it's perhaps beginning to penetrate that he's doing a lot of damage. I you know I read the FT, I read the Economist, I mm. read the New York Times, and they lambasted him. I don't I think they've run out of they've run out of adjectives to describe uh, their hatred or distrust uh, for him. Those particular people, and I respect some of the voices there because a lot of those are. Well, they fit into my way of thinking in terms of of uh, markets and uh, you know where I've been. I, I don't read Fox News. I don't listen to. Sorry, I don't listen to Fox News. But from my point of view, I think they represent what I stand for, and they they voices of sanity, they voices of peace, globalization, environmental issues. You know those kind of issues, um, rather than some of the other issues that that Trump uh, supports. So. I think he's beginning, it's, it's kind of penetrating, you know, maybe it is having some kind of effect on him. Maybe the advisors are trying to get a message through to him. Who knows? hope so. Anything you like at the moment, David? I mean, whether it be I, an asset class or a security, anything, anything and, new? And you know what, Lindsay, I've got to be on your side. I'm a little skeptical now with this kind of recovery. I'm saying, hold on a sec, I don't feel all that secure about uh, where we are economically. Um, so I'm very glad that we are where we are. You know, we're up at these kind of levels, and I'm talking global markets. But, uh, you know, I like sustainability. I like to know that if I buy now, I'm not going to fall in a heap next week and, and that I'm likely to to hold these kind of levels and move up from here. And I don't get that feeling quite yet. What will encourage me is when we see the June results, I'm talking the June quarterlies in the U.S., and what they have to say uh, how business leaders see the future, uh, that's that's going to be what will probably guide me. But for the meantime, I'm rejoicing that we've rebounded. But to be honest, I haven't put new money into the market, certainly over the last month. David, thank you very much for your analysis. Interesting times we, we live in as the US continues to melt up. We'll be speaking again next Monday to David Shapiro from Sasfin. That was Shapiro World. <laughs> oh, of course it is. Yeah, we'll do it on Tuesday, David. Next week is, of we'll course, Youth Tuesday. Day on the Sunday. So the Monday uh, the 17th is a holiday. We'll do it on Tuesday the 18th. Shapiro okay. World will be back then. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.